We have been teaching on the seven Achilles heels of our church. Every church has some Achilles heels. A lot of them are going to correspond because flesh is flesh no matter where you go. Uh, so we started off dealing with the Achilles heel of excuses. And then we moved on to the Achilles heel of laziness. And then the Achilles heel of pride and stubbornness. And so that brings us to our fourth one, which is obesity or appetites. I've got to be very delicate with this because fat is a very sensitive subject or obesity because of our culture. And we're in such a social justice movement where we want to beautify, glorify, and honor everything, even if it's deadly. And we really are living in bizarre times where we totally ignore the health effects uh, if it makes somebody feel uncomfortable. This isn't something I haven't taught before. I teach on this on a regular basis. We've had folks get offended and call me a fat shamer, but uh, I'm not trying to shame anybody for their weight. I can just tell you as a pastor, I'm tired of burying fat people prematurely. So we have built another PowerPoint and I can say this has been the hardest PowerPoint out of all to build because what do you include? What do you exclude? What do you, how do you handle things? Because my point is to build your faith so that your faith is what carries you into any kind of weight loss you need to do. It's, we, we're all Americans or we're living in America. We have plenty of medical information, plenty of dietary information. We have plenty of health information. We know what we need to do. We have doctors that tell us your blood pressure is too high, your cholesterol is too high, and they are, they're warning us. But that's, to, that's a natural knowledge, and that's great. We all know it. We all know we should lose a couple pounds. But if I can give you the word of God and let the word of God arise in your heart, your faith will compel you to do it. It won't just be a doctor nagging you. It won't be a self-esteem issue nagging you. And so anyway, this is a very delicate subject. I want to handle it as tactfully as possible. Uh, I have personally felt like these last three messages have been as boring as all get out because I'm just reading a PowerPoint. But several of you have encouraged me more than you realize in that you've said, Pastor, this is cut deeper than anything I've heard you say in a long time. And that encourages me because that just lets me know it's like a chainsaw. You don't have to push down with the chainsaw. You just let the chainsaw pull itself through. You just put the word of God out there, especially when it's the word of God that God wants to be taught. Then the Holy Ghost does the rest of the work. Let me throw this out there just to let you know how the preaching works. Just because you preach the Bible doesn't mean you please God. You can preach the, the Bible and it be the wrong message. So it has to be the, the word in due season. Because if, if God's dealing with me to teach on salvation and I decide to teach on marriage, I will have grieved the Holy Spirit. God will have not anointed his own word. So it may just be a testimony to the fact that this is a season that we're in that I can throw up a 20-slide PowerPoint, just read scriptures to you, do very little exposition on it, and it just cut you to the quick. Somebody else shared with me the other day that I thought was a very profound statement, very wise, and let's all consider this. He said, honestly, Pastor, it's the quotes you've been given us, not the Bible, but the quotes that have been more convicting than anything else. And I said, really? He said, I think it just reveals how overly familiar we are with scripture. The sin of familiarity. Oh, I've heard that verse before. So when we can find a quote that gives you Bible wisdom, but maybe in an American perspective, or some of these have been African quotes from an African perspective, it gives you the same scriptural wisdom, but cross plows you, and it just hits you all the more raw. All right, so with that being said, let us begin the fluffy message. <laughs> Beating obesity 
and appetites. We have to throw appetites in there because some of you can eat like a, a elephant and still look like a Jeff King or look like a Steve Wolf or a Gertie. Steve Wolf and Jeff King can eat anybody under the table, even that Japanese guy who can eat 100 hot dogs in a minute. If you ever watch the, the eating competitions, we actually have world competitive eating competitions. Isn't that bizarre? I'm not, I'm not against it. You know, it's, we got folks on one side of the planet starving to death and other folks on the other side of the planet seeing how many hot dogs they can put down in a minute. Welcome to the world today. So we have to say appetites because I don't want you to hear this and say, well, I'm not obese, so this doesn't apply to me. You could drink way too much soda and still be hurting yourself. The whole purpose of this message is to take care of your body. And I'm going to keep saying that. It's not about what you look like. I don't care what you look like. I'm not married to you. I don't necessarily work out with you. I don't, I'm not your tailor. What you look like is not the, the issue here. Somebody stopped by my office this week and they said, Pastor, you keep saying this. And I just want to tactfully disagree and say, I don't understand how it cannot be about what you look like. And I, and I try to explain. I said, look, I don't care what you look like. Beauty's different all over the world. I'm concerned about health. And they said, well, you know what? I can't stand to see how I look. So to them, their weight is attached to how they look. And so that, that ties into self-esteem and, and insecurity issues, which is one of our other Mount Achilles we'll look at. So my whole purpose behind all of this is health. Of course, you'll feel better because you will have taken a load off your body. But if you are skinny, but you eat too much soda or too much sugar and your body can metastasize it or metabolize it, excuse me, you may feel better if you just cut off the sugar. We're in a land of plenty, and when you're in a land of plenty, your flesh will take plenty of liberties. So this isn't just about obesity. This is also about health. All right, let's look at our first verse. This is kind of our theme verse, Proverbs 23, verse 2. Uh, we'll read verse 1. Let's just start with the whole context. When you sit to eat with a ruler, we could say wealthy person, king, prosperous person, someone who has more than enough, Consider diligently what is before you. We might say anytime you sit down to eat, anytime you sit down to eat, because honestly, if Proverbs is addressing um, a thousand year BC, because that's about the time this was written, not everybody had more than enough to eat. But here in America, we all do. We all have more than enough to eat. So we can apply that into the modern era. Anytime you sit down to eat, here's what the word of the Lord says. Consider what is before you. You should. Now, you shouldn't say, hey, 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 I got a whole buffet in front of me. Uh, you need to be considered wisely what is before you. And we have enough dietary science now to know I don't need to eat this. That's too much. You, you, all of you are pretty old enough to know how different foods make you feel. This makes me feel sluggish. This gives me heartburn. This makes me feel gross. This makes me feel great. This fills me up. I'll be hungry in an hour if I eat that. So we ought to be considering all this because you should know your body. Amen. Because you live in it and it's the only one you get. Amen. Put a knife to your throat if you be a man or woman given to appetite. Here's a Bible command. Put a knife to your throat. That is not to commit suicide. That is not to slit your throat. We know it's a figure of speech. You put this limiter. If you're one to sit down and just gobble, gobble, gobble as much as you can, uh, you, need to do, you need to stop that. I would even encourage some of our skinnier guys who can put down a horse and an ox 
and six gallons of Rocky Road ice cream, you shouldn't because you're letting your flesh run away with you. You're, you're giving it more than it needs. And that's not healthy because that could catch up with you. It might eventually catch up with you. And you need to be careful about that. Uh, in our book that I wrote two years ago, Fat, Broken, Crazy, I talk about one of my pastors, Pastor Trey. He was 6'4", 135 pounds. That's skinny. But not to think he was skin and bone. He could do 100 push-ups in one shot. So he's pretty, pretty strong too. And Pastor Trey, anytime we'd go out to eat, he would always leave one or two bites on his plate. Now, he's, I just checked up on him the other day. Reverend Jean-Paul knows him. They go to church together in Knoxville. 135 pounds. He's still about 135 pounds, even though he's pushing 50 now. This man could afford to eat anything he wants to. And yet, he would always purposely leave a bite or two. And I asked him one time, why do you do that, Pastor Trey? He said, just to control my flesh. Just so my flesh knows you don't get the last say, I do. I'm going to purposely leave a bite or two. Though he could eat it. You're talking 50 calories in those two bites, maybe. Just to leave it. Just because I'm not going to let my flesh get the final say. Now in the South, we were taught to clean our plate. That may not be wisdom. Now maybe when you're training your kids to eat what's put in front of you, it is. But at some point, you've got to start leaving a bite or two. It's just an exercise in discipline. Because I've eaten with some of you. You guys will lick the plate. <laughs> not the fork. You'll lick the plate. I've seen you pick the plate up and lick it. Like it could be no calorie left behind. <laughs> like, man, stop. Put a knife to your throat if you be given to appetites. Because that's how we're going to control this thing. Um, be not, verse 3 will say, be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Dainties is a, a way of saying fancy food, rich food, uh, a delicatessen. A tessin. Uh, it, it's, um, it's, it's precious. It's fancy. It's whatever's super desirable. If you can imagine, Solomon is writing this to maybe a peasant who's just used to wheat and barley and maybe raw lamb and a stew, and now he's getting to sit at a king's table, and there's all this precious, dainty stuff yeah, you need to be considered that all food is deceitful. All right, let's keep reading here. This is a message about self-control, not aesthetics. I don't care what you look like. I will not fat shame you because you're big or small or skinny or whatever. Everybody's got a different frame anyway. Not every, we're not all built the same. We don't necessarily go by body mass index because that's not accurate. It's a, it's, it's, Bi it's not bias. It's just not an accurate measurement because you could have a lot of muscle and be obese according to BMI. You need to be at a healthy weight. Healthy is whatever your doctor tells you. Healthy is whatever you need to chase your kids and grandkids around. But let me also stop to talk about our younger, talk to our younger generation. You kids don't get it. You'll blink twice and you'll be 30. You'll blink twice again. You'll be 40. You'll blink half a blink, fall asleep in service, wake up at 50. I know you fall asleep in service and you wake up with a gray beard or gray hair. Not telling on anybody, but you gray beards got to start staying awake in my service. Uh, you got to take care of your body because it does eventually catch up with you. You don't think it will because you don't feel it day by day. It's like watching your fingernails grow. You can't do it, but your weight will catch up. And so these are uh, disciplines and restraints you've got to put in your life from the time you're a child 
and you begin to work out and exercise and you make it part of your daily life. Exercise must be a part of your daily life. We live in a very sedentary society. Our culture, especially in America, we drive everywhere. We don't walk anywhere. We fight for the closest parking places at Walmart. And if that's too far, they have a scooter park nearby where we can hop on that and transport ourselves inside. You ought to practice parking in the furthest place possible just to get the extra calories burned. We are a lazy culture. Not everybody, but America's culture is lazy. We're not Europe. Europe's very compact. People walk everywhere. They bike everywhere. And they walk to catch a train. We don't do that. We're so spread out. Everybody has a car at 16. And we drive from our garage all the way to the front row parking lot. We'll even drive around the parking lot four or five times till we get the first closest parking space. So we spend more time walking in the Walmart than we actually did to get into the Walmart. I mean, have you ever thought about that? You'll spend more time pushing that buggy up and down than the extra 20 feet of a parking place. That's our culture. Pretty wow lazy. We're allergic to burning energy. I don't care what you look like, but you need to be healthy because you got to finish your race. So how can this not be about aesthetics? Because everybody looks different and beautiful is different all over the world. I think my wife's attractive, but some would call her a skinny mini. I have a pastor friend. He told his wife's big. He said, I like a woman with some meat on her bones. That's his testimony. I think, well, great. Just not so much that she strokes out at 38, right? There, there's a healthy balance to be had here. This is why you take it back to your doctor and you should have a doctor so he can check up on you so we don't bury you prematurely. The heart behind this is I don't want to bury any more people prematurely. And you know when you're too big and those Mountain Dews are not helping you. Amen. All right. The heart of this message is about appetite control because that's Bible. We control our appetites, whether it's video game appetites, whether it's coffee appetites, whether it's Coca-Cola appetites, whether it's football appetites, whether it's running appetites. You can be obsessed with running and you need to fast that because you get so consumed of it. You freak out if you don't run a day, two days in a row. You got to chill. That's, you get to be consumed of that. This is all about appetite control because we're supposed to master our bodies. That's a fruit of the spirit. Our body, the Greek word is soma, contains a sin or flesh nature. That's the Greek word sarks. So your body, your soma, is just biology. It's bone, it's tissue, it's blood, it's sinew, it's nerve endings, it's muscle, it's organs. But within this being, we have what the Greek calls a sarks, a sin nature. And it's the most bizarre thing because we could cut your legs off and give you robotic legs, cut your arms off and give you robotic arms. We could replace every organ with technology and you have robotic organs. There'd be hardly anything left of you that's biological and you'd still have a sin nature. When I used to work at Lowe's years ago, we honestly had a shoplifter who would come in. He had no legs. He had a false bottom in his wheelchair. He'd shoplift and put stuff in the false bottom in his wheelchair. Because who's going to harass a guy without legs in a wheelchair? Could not walk into shoplift, but he could roll in. Amen. Our body, we've all got one. Our biology has a sin nature. And your appetites are attached to that sin nature. Our bodies have been created with these appetites. And all of our appetites are God-given. But the sin nature corrupts them. 
Our sin nature will always strive to pervert those appetites. But part of being born again is we've been cut free from the power of sin over our life, including appetites. Any appetite taken too far is going to produce sin. Even, like I said, with fitness, you can take fitness too far and get into sin over it. We are commanded to subdue our bodies and bring them into subjection. And so not to just pick on heavy people because that's easy because you can't hide it. But if you're playing 30 hours of video games a week, you need to bring that appetite into control. If you're spending five hours a day on social media, you need to bring that appetite into control. If you're spending three hours a day working out, you're consumed. you got to chill out. Uh, anything can be consumed. I, you know, folks can get in their garden and garden way more than they do anything else in life. Don't you know one good Tennessee frost will kill that whole garden? We are commanded to subdue our bodies and bring them in, into subjection. Any appetite we could possibly develop or have, the sark's sin nature wants to pervert. And part of our walk in the spirit with Christ is learning how to subdue every appetite. Now, we've got, uh, we, we have what we call a dominion theology. We believe we have dominion over all the works of the enemy. We believe we can cast out devils and tread upon the scorpions and the serpents. That's all gospel. If you can't even exercise that authority over yourself, we got authority over mountains, but we're not really interested in Mount Lacan or Mount St. Helens or Mount Rainier. How about Mount Appetite? How about Mount Achilles? Let's beat this thing. The beautiful God-given sex appetite, which is for marriage, can easily become lasciviousness, pornographic, and vile. There's just one example. In your body, you've been given a sex appetite, and it's driven by hormones. And those hormones are also helped by imaginations and daydreaming. And the Bible gives us permission as husbands to, uh, to be drunk with our wife or to be drunk in our love for her. But at the same time, we can also love on our wife and arouse her, that fires up her hormones. And this is a beautiful use of that appetite. And yet, if we don't restrain it, we can become gluttons of sex. We can become vile. We can be lust-filled. We can be driven of demons and just be consumed a pervert. Part of getting a hold of your appetite would be the sex appetite. The beautiful God-given appetite for fellowship and camaraderie can easily become neediness and dysfunctional codependence. There's a balance. We're supposed to fellowship, or you can be needy. There's also a desire to be alone at times, or you can become a hermit. So you have to always use your dominion in Christ to balance your appetites. So I'm building this because I don't want our heavier people to feel picked upon, because we all have something we've got to bring into subjection. The body's necessary cravings for food can easily become gluttony and obesity. And that's why we have to be careful because your stomach's telling you, I'm hungry. But your body can look, you can look down and say, yeah, but you're not going to die. And even hunger, hunger pains are hormonally driven. It's like even a newborn baby knows I'm hungry and it begins to cry that it might get mother's milk, that its stomach would be full and it could grow and develop. But don't, you don't listen to your body just because it says I'm hungry. We have to maintain these appetites. We also know the food industry now manufactures food for addiction and manufactures food. It's promoted to us. We also know through all the modern research on sugar that sugar is just, just as addictive as cocaine and sugar causes most of your health issues. 
There's a lot of science out there that's available. And the problem is when we say it's food, you have to have it. You don't have to have as much as we're having. We must learn to glorify God with his temple. Your body is his temple. He wants you to take care of it. Maybe you should cut back drinking too many monsters or too many Red Bulls or too much coffee. Or you can even kill yourself drinking too much water. You can die in an afternoon drinking too much water. Just deplete all your electrolytes. And I can't remember what it's called, but you just die. It happens every once in a while. It happens about once a year. You'll hear a story about somebody drinking too much water. Titus 1, 12 and 13. One of themselves, the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Notice Paul said, yep, you Cretans are lazy gluttons. He would not be tolerated in today's woke environment. They would call him a fat shamer. But this is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is calling the Cretans lazy gluttons. For this reason, reprove them severely. Do you see that if you have the reputation of being a lazy glutton, the Bible authorizes a pastor to rebuke you severely? We're not trying to shame anybody. I just want you to see what the Bible has to say. Okay? So that they may be sound in the faith. So a lazy glutton is not sound in the faith in that area. Because sound faith brings in the subjection, every desire, every appetite. Sound faith knows how to keep its body under. Now, you might have sound faith in other areas, but we want sound faith in every area. Now, I would also make out that the doctrine of self-control is an applicable doctrine. It's boots on the ground as a doctrine. It's not theoretical. It's not esoterical. It's not spiritual. It's not angelology or demonology. It's not eschatology. It's not soteriological. It's not a doctrine that's out there. It's a, it's a doctrine that must be lived every day. So you can be big as a house and die with all that knowledge in your head. There are certain points where your knowledge doesn't help you anymore if you're not doing it. So let's read this powerful verse from Titus again. One of themselves, a Cretans, a prophet of their own, he said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, Lazy gluttons. That's the national reputation for the Cretans, the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. Paul, by the Holy Ghost, said, This testimony is true. For this reason, Pastor Titus, reprove them severely, or uh, King James says, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith. What does a severe rebuke look like? This morning is not a severe rebuke. This is a firm, squishy hug. <laughs> Sound faith keeps its flesh under. And again, you can be skinny. You can be 135 pounds, but your appetites are out of control in other areas. Up too late, drinking too much coffee, playing too many video games, working too much in your yard. It's, up, it's between you and the Holy Ghost because my emphasis is obesity this morning. Dr. Roy Hicks said, tell them to take care of their bodies. They only get one. Dr. Roy Hicks was a tremendous Pentecostal pioneer. He was one of Dr. Barclay's fathers in the faith. He was a healthy little man. I never knew him. I was just familiar with him. I've read a few of his books. He and Brother Hagin were very close. He was a healthy guy, small and skinny. Dr. Barclay was with him on his deathbed and says, what's something? What's the last thing you want me to tell the body of Christ for you? Now, this four-square, which is a denomination, this four-square Pentecostal pioneer 
who was part of the great moves of God for you know, the last hundred years, his final words to the body of Christ were, tell them to take care of their bodies. They only get one. He died in his, what did we say, 99? Dr. James, you looked it up last time. Oh, somebody texted me. It was almost 100. And he did ministry into his 90s. Eat to live, do not live to eat. That is Clement of Alexandria. That's 2nd century AD. He's one of the early church fathers. In fact, from one of his sermons, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ is the bread of life and he would have us live for him and eat to live. But that's not our culture as Americans. We fellowship around food. And when we host, we're always afraid we won't have enough. So we always make more than enough. We're practicing being the El Shaddai in the kitchen. And then when we go over as guests, we're afraid that if we don't eat more than enough, we will offend our hosts. Because if we don't eat more than enough, then we know they're going to say, why won't they eat? Do they not like my cooking? And now it becomes this weird emotional dance of platitudes and facades. We just come and say, hey, look, just give me one chicken breast, a little bit of salad, we'll be good. Amen. Amen. There is a ninth fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Did you know that? What? Never got far, that far down the list, did we? As I have jokingly said, it's because we're Southerners. We deep fried the first eight fruit. And by the time we got to the ninth one, boy, we were full. But let me stand up, undo a belt notch or two, and I'll make room for that ninth one. Would you say it was boysenberry? Self-control. Oh. Now, here's a point I don't have in the slideshow, but it's worth mentioning. There comes a point where, as a Christian, your weight will hinder your witness. We've said for a long time, I've heard it said before me, it's hard to receive from a fat preacher. How do you take a fat preacher serious? In writing that book, Fat, Broken, Crazy, a couple years ago, I came upon an article that was critiquing the body of Christ, and this was a pagan, and he was dead on accurate. That's why I quoted his, his, his um, op-ed. He said, how come Christians want homosexuals to pray the gay away, but they don't expect their saints to pray their fat away? And he said, especially when the Bible Belt, which is the South, seems to be the fattest part of America. And he just said, hey, Christians, leave the gays alone unless you're willing to lose weight. Wow. I even wrote in my book, I hate it when the pagans are right, because he was dead on accurate. Don't expect a homosexual to pray their appetites away if you're not willing to pray yours away. I would think spoons would be easier to control than sex drives. Amen. Obesity facts. In 2013, the American Medical Association voted to recognize obesity as a disease. So now medically, obese people are sick. It is a medically recognized disease. The contradiction is it's self-inflicted. It's a self-inflicted disease. When a person is obese, they have brought it upon themselves. When a Christian is obese, they've brought it upon themselves and they had to violate the Bible to do it. 
you violate all the scripture on self-control, self-discipline, the fruit of the spirit called self-discipline. Talk about appetite control. So we're already behind the eight ball. And I'm giving you the word and I'm giving you medical facts because I want to build a conviction in your heart that once set there, making whatever change you need to make will be easy. And skinny people don't have a right to be proud right now because you got some other issue I'll nail you with next because that's just how this thing works. Amen. Obesity is the only self-inflicted disease. Unless you want to talk about cirrhosis of the liver through alcohol. But then again, you have an appetite issue. Or lung cancer through cigarettes, but once again, appetite issue. 70% of Americans are either overweight or obese. The Christian nation. 40% of Americans are just outright obese. And that number does climb every year. We show no signs of stopping. I would say, being a preacher, being a Southerner, the, the highest per capita population of fat people is in the church. I don't mean this as a joke. The only other place you might be able to find a higher per capita would be at a Jenny Craig or a Weight Watchers because those folks there are trying to lose weight. But now here's the thing that hurts me as a preacher. Pastors and preachers refuse to deal with this, usually because either they're fat and that would make them a hypocrite, or because they know you could really offend people by touching on this. And again, it's not about what you look like. I don't care what you look like, but there is a biblical mandate to keep your appetites under control so you might finish your course. Your biology is not designed to keep storing fat and storing fat and storing fat until all of your organ systems fail. 20% of American children are obese, three times more than in 1980. So that's climbing. Children with one obese parent have a 50% chance of becoming obese themselves. And if you have two, both your parents, you have an 80% chance. So it fulfills scripture. As goes the mother, so goes her daughter. Now there are the anomalies. It's not 100% guarantee. But this is both uh, nature and nurture. It's both genetic, but it's also how you eat in your home. Parents who don't eat healthy will teach their kids not to eat healthy. Kids learn by watching their parents. There are the occasional kids that look at their parents and say, I don't want to be anything like you. And from the time they're 10, they despise their parents and they go so hard the other direction, they ruin themselves in that way. But we have to set the example for our children by living healthy. In Ephesians 6, it says, um, uh, Fathers, raise your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and, uh, and teaching them and instructing them. And that word in the Greek there in the exhortation for parenting includes bodily training. It commissions the dad, not the mom. I'll turn there. Ephesians 6, if you want to just write it down. Dads are really good about leaving all the parenting up to mom. And that's not right. Ephesians 6, 4 says, um, don't provoke your children under wrath. That means don't keep moving the standard on them. That's ruthless. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture means whole training and education, including bodily discipline. Not disciplining them with a paddle, though there is a permission for that, but bodily discipline. It means the job of the dad is to teach their children how to take care of their body. Part of my conviction is also it should be dad teaching his children about puberty. 
and how to care for their bodies. Because if dad will talk about it, even the daughters won't think anything about it. It's just, sweetie, you're a woman. And this is what your body's going to start doing. And if you have that open relationship with your kids, it's going to be just as odd as when you teach them how to wipe their rear end and teach them how to cut their fingernails and teach them how to blow their nose. And here's the next thing your body's going to start doing. It's going to start menstruating. What does that mean, Daddy? Well, this is what that means. Does that happen to you? Nope, doesn't happen to boys. Why not? God made us different. When it's all matter of fact, because it's God's divine design, it's easily approached as a medical thing, and your kids won't be weird about it. But part of the word nurture is bodily discipline, which means you're teaching your kids how to take care of their body. You're teaching them to bathe when they stink. You know, they don't smell like little babies forever. I mean, four or five years old, those kids start stinking. Shoes start going bad. Feet start smelling like vinegar. Five and six, that's when you teach them how to use Clorox, Comet, (laughs) and all these other scrubbing agents. You teach them how to eat healthy. You teach them to love vegetables. One of my Pastor Chris's maxims is mac and cheese and chicken nuggets is the victor's meal. When your kids always get to pick what they eat, you are failing as a parent. You teach them to eat all the vegetables and all the fruit. They learn to love it. Otherwise, if you become an obese parent, your kids have a greater chance of becoming obese themselves. And what happens is your lineage starts dying out sooner and sooner and sooner. And you don't understand that if you're an obese parent, you're cursing your grandkids to probably be obese too and to suffer the same joint issues and heart issues and lung issues and whatever you're experiencing. You've got to be selfless. Obesity is often selfish because it's all about what you want, when you want, as you want it. I have an awesome Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote here in a minute that kind of touches on that same thing. Obesity and old age are the two comorbidities that nearly guarantee death with COVID-19. This year, I just, I'm sorry, this last week, I just had my annual physical. I go to Knoxville. I have to have an internal medicine guy because of my past viral meningitis and myocarditis and then all the vaccinations I have for missionary work. So I have to go to this internal medicine guy. We were talking about this and uh, I I brought him a copy of Fat, Broken, Crazy because I quote him in the book and he's a spirit-filled guy, does missionary work. So I hadn't seen him in two years because COVID threw everything off last year. So he walks in, Chris, hadn't seen you in a while. What's going on, man? So we we chatted mostly about the kingdom and parachutes for sheep because I brought him a copy of that. He said, I just had lunch with a member of our church who's leaving our church today. I just told him, you don't get to jump ship, man you get to do this right. You're not just going to up and quit our church. He said, I just, uh, my appointment was at 115. He had just come from that appointment. And he wasn't excited. I quoted him in my fat, broken, crazy book. He was excited. I brought him parachutes for sheep. So he said, I'm going to go home and read this. And I'm going to send him some more f- for his church. He goes to a big church. He told me, he said, we talked about the obesity thing. Because even my doctor said, my patients don't want to hear it when I address their weight. In fact, he said this. He said, as soon as I say, we need to talk about your weight. He says, you can see the wall go up. And he says, they say this, can't you just give me a pill? Can't you just give me a pill to get my blood pressure down? Can't you just give me a pill to get my cholesterol down? I'm not going to change the way I eat, doc. Can you just give me a pill? The one guy who has more permission than anybody on planet Earth to touch your weight, he says, they don't want to hear it from me. So where do you go when the doctor can't even help you? So we talked about this. He said, he said, obesity and old age. He said, that's the two things that almost guarantee to kill you with COVID. And I said, yeah, and you can't control your age. 
But the other thing, you can. I understand there are genetic outliers and genetic things, but you can't tell me it's impossible for you to lose weight. We could maroon you on an island giving you nothing but coconut and raw crab, come back in three months, and you'd be half the man you once were. <laughs> Amen. Here are obesity-related diseases and conditions. Cancer. Cancer is tied to obesity. Type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is made by obesity. Joint breakdown. Strokes. Lymphedema, that means water retention. Poor wound healing. Hypertension, that's blood pressure. Inflammatory dermatosis, skin conditions. Because your skin is stretched beyond what it should be. Heart disease. Stretch marks. Sleep apnea. Dementia. Can you believe they're tying dementia now to obesity? So you may live a little bit longer, but you won't remember any of it. And the bad thing about dementia is when it sets in, you don't even know it's setting in because it's dementia. And obesity is directly tied to this. Malignant melanoma, more skin issues. Here's the deal. Our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, and our skin does have collagen and elastin, but it only stretches so far. And then when you begin to stretch it too far, it breaks down, and it's not able to circulate. It's not able to repair itself. You start to cause cancer in different areas and situations. There's no way anything about obesity is God. And I can promise you, if you lived in a different country, you would be skinnier. But we're graced to live in this nation. We just have to put a greater demand on the fruit of self-control so that we don't destroy this temple God has given us. You get one body, and it has all that it needs to make it across the finish line for you. But if you don't take care of it, you're guaranteed to come short. You're not going to go to hell. I would never say that. But we want you to finish your race. What does the Bible say? about obesity. The first obese person in the Bible was King Eglon of the Moabites. Judge 3.17. Judge 3, and he, uh, Ehud, brought the present unto Eglon, Elgon, king of Moab. And El Eglon was a very fat man. Kind, kind of judgy, isn't it? The Bible calls him a very fat man. And so Ehud was the judge. He assassinated King Eglon by stabbing him in the gut with a left-handed 18-inch long dagger. And he stuck it in him so far, when he pulled his hand out, his fat swallowed up the handle of the dagger and he couldn't pull it out. That's how fat this man was. To get stabbed in the gut with an 18-inch long blade and his stomach swallowed the handle and all. The next obese people in the Bible were Eli, the high priest of Israel and his sons. The Lord said in the New Living Translation, 1 Samuel 2, So why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they, Eli and his boys, Phineas and Hophni, you've become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Now the offerings were food offerings. These preachers had made themselves obese off of what the people were giving to God. God said, you're fat, and you did it by taking my people's offerings. This is not praiseworthy. Now, that's not maybe your situation, but you see, the Lord doesn't like this. 
You've not made yourself fat off of the tithe or the offering, but plenty of preachers have. And by fat, we literally do mean obese because the Hebrew means obese. Preachers were becoming fat off the people's offerings. When the messenger uh, uh, heard what had happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was an old, old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli fell backwards out of his chair and broke his neck under his own weight. That's how fat this man was. So the first two obese people in the Bible die bizarre deaths directly related to their fat. What does the Bible say about gluttony? Proverbs 23. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. So it equates drunks with obesity. And the Bible says, do not be with them. It's quiet this morning. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Solomon was teaching his sons, don't fellowship with drunks or gluttons because you'll learn their ways. Now, let me throw this out there as a cultural mercy. It took a lot more to be obese in those days than it does today. But I want you to see what the word of God still says, and I'll just let the Holy Ghost sort it out from there. That doesn't mean we excommunicate heavy people or we don't eat with them, but I just want you to see what the word of the Lord has to say about gluttony. He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. So here we see the law, obeying the law and discernment juxtaposed with being friends with gluttons and humiliation. This can't help but bring a little bit of shame or condemnation, but this is the wisdom of Solomon. And there's so many things I want to say, but it will only heap condemnation. And that's not my goal. I, I will say this. You don't find many successful obese people. When you look at who's in the White House, from the president on down to all of his staff and his administrators, all, everybody in that building is a go-getter. When you look at the halls of Congress and the Senate, both sides of the aisle, you don't find obese people. President Trump was obese by BMI, but the man worked 20 hours a day in his 70s, ate horribly, and he would be technically obese, but he was a go-getter and a mover and a shaker. But he, he wasn't what we'd call morbidly obese or sloppy obese. You don't find successful obese people, which is probably why Solomon says, I don't want you running with them. All right. Romans says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. Paul says it's possible for us to be slaves of our appetites, whether that's Xbox, social media. Let me, let me relieve some pressure off our service because it's getting heavy. Uh, 
pornography. You can be in, consumed with the appetite of success and money. That would be greed. But Paul said, don't fellowship with these folks. Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances and contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. Turn away from anybody that serves their appetites. Turn away. There, there is an excommunication of fellowship. I, I think by nature, though, if you're active and go-getter, you're not going to have a lot in common with somebody who just lives for their appetite. I don't have much in common with social media people. It's hard to fellowship with them. I don't have much in common with pornographers. I don't have, I just, there's nothing we have in common. You, you pursue one thing, I pursue something else. You tend to flock with people who are like you. And this is saying you should not be someone who consumes or pursues their own appetites. A slave. Um, Mr. Rick has been a firefighter for a long time, and now he works in the mortuary business. And he's told me many, many stories about folks in our community, five and 600 pounds. They even now, being part of the mortuary business, he has to take bodies to be cremated. And they now have weight limits to crematoriums. And honestly, you hit a certain weight limit, they have to take you to the zoo to be cremated at the zoo's furnace that they reserve for live animals. Uh, not, excuse me, large animals, not live animals. But yeah. <laughs> for once, that was an accident. Though I have two stories coming to my mind right now. <laughs> or one at least. Furnace cat. Remember Furnace cat? Yeah. Can you imagine we've gotten to a place at a society where we now have three stages of crematoriums depending on how big you are as a human being. And the third is the zoo. To be burned where they burned elephants. What's the, is it 900 pounds or 600? A thousand so we've taken 1,000-pound human beings to the zoo to be cremated. The problem is when you get to be that big, you're not getting your own food. Somebody's enabling you. Yeah. I hurt for them because you know they're miserable. And usually by the time they can turn their life, it's too late. And their lives are cut short. You don't live old being that big. Your, your body just can't do it. Kalia here, the gullet appetites to be given up to the pleasures of the palate, your mouth, gluttony. They, do, they don't serve the Lord Christ. They serve their gullet. <laughs> In our culture, it's like this. And I've been part of it. I'm, I'm a Southerner. I got family in Georgia and Louisiana. That's where we're from. And I remember conversations as a kid, almost as a joke. I'm sitting at the table with Grandpa or Papa and Granny and Merrimack and all the folks down in Louisiana. We finish up lunch. What are we doing for dinner? I still haven't finished my last roll with gravy. And we're already talking about what, where are we going for dinner tonight? That. <laughs> now, they were all farmers. They worked hard and, and they lived into their 80s, all of them. But that would be living for the gullet, living for the pleasures of your palate, that is your mouth, the flavors of your mouth. And the Bible says, don't fellowship with these kinds of people. It even calls it dissensioners and folks that produce hindrances. 
We don't address it because everybody and their granny's big and we might hurt their feelings. But they won't hear it from the doctor either. Philippians 3, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. I'm not saying if you're obese, you're the enemy of the cross of Christ. But it's interesting to note this. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice this, this sin of the, your God being your stomach and minding natural things, focused on natural things. That would be like you go to bed and you're already wondering about what's for breakfast. This is what the New Testament says about appetites and appetite control. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. An undisciplined body will disqualify you, whether through death, whether through sexual sin. If you don't discipline the appetites God put in your body that are trying to be perverted by sarks, the sin nature, you will ultimately be disqualified. There are certain places in the world you just won't ever be able to go as a missionary if you're too fat because you can't get on the airplane. You won't be able to climb the mountain. You're just not going to be able to go there. You got to be healthy. Years ago, when the Lord prophesied to our worship team, when we used to have one, that we would be a traveling team, I looked at the worship team and I knew a lot of them were too big to be able to go anywhere in the world we needed to go. So I began to work with the team and some in private to lose the weight so we could get them on an airplane and get them able to walk around in hot African heat. Because it's one thing to go from air-conditioned car to air-conditioned house in Tennessee. It's another thing when there is no air conditioning and you're leading worship for five hours a day. We never got the mission, uh, the worship team anywhere. And two of them went home to heaven early, 25, 30 years early. And they took their giftings with them. That's what this is about. I don't care what you look like. You got to run your race. There's a reason Paul or the author of Hebrews calls it a race. It takes endurance, takes strength, takes discipline, takes fortitude. It's not easy. First Thessalonians, Paul said that each of you knows how to control his own body and holiness and honor. Control your body, control your appetites. This is what the body says about appetite suppressants. Take whatever medicine your doctor gives you, but don't live on pills if you don't have to. Beat your flesh. If the doctor tells you, lose 30 pounds, you can come off the cholesterol medicine or the blood pressure medicine, then lose 30 pounds. It'll save you money, both in eating and pills. My doctor said, they don't, they'll say, doctor, I'm not going to change my diet, so just give me a pill. Okay, you can take a pill, but it taxes your liver. And then they got to do blood work every couple months to see how your liver's functioning because every pill you take has a lot of side effects. And then they'll have to hop off this pill to put you on this pill because got to let your liver heal while we tax your kidneys. Or you can just control your body. Discipline quotes. This is my fun part. I like this part. Dr. Charles Glassman, he's obviously a medical doctor. Self-discipline is often disguised as short-term pain which often leads to long-term gains. 
The mistake many of us make is the need and want for short-term gains, immediate gratification, which often leads to long-term pain. That's going back for seconds and thirds. That's having a cheat day every Friday. Your cheat day is really what's in your heart the other six days of the week. So you keep cheating and all you do is cheat yourself. Well, we had a birthday. Sweetie, there's always a birthday. Always a birthday. Well, you know, it was a special occasion. This is America. We, got, we honor somebody every month around here. Some group, some indigenous group, some rare people's group. There's always a reason. There was a poster once when I was in college called 365 Reasons to Drink Beer. And it went through all the... It was a poster at one of the stores in the mall. An excuse to get drunk every day of the year because there was a different holiday or celebration. You never even heard of half of them, but it was just a drunk's reason to get drunk. And you'll always have a reason to have cake. When that's your heart. Or four pieces of pizza. What's special? That was Tuesday. This is Thursday. I don't know why. I'm trying to lose weight. I keep gaining it because you're special. Henry Ward Beecher. Hold yourself responsible for a higher standard than anybody else expects of you. Never excuse yourself. Never pity yourself. Be a hard master to yourself and be lenient to everybody else. This was a, probably the most famous preacher in 19th century America. He was an abolitionist. He was a women's suffragist. He was a, a congregationalist and a former Calvinist. And his early days were great. It's a wonderful quote. He was used by Abraham Lincoln to promote abolition to Europe to kind of turn Europe's favor against the South. But he died a sex fiend with multiple adulteresses and affairs, mistresses, and uh, he was hard. He preached hard against libertinism, which is just, you know, taking your liberty. And, and yet his hypocrisy was that the joke was he preaches the gospel every night to at least six or seven mistresses. His sister was Harriet Beecher Stowe, author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, which every one of you should read. Probably one of the greatest books in modern history. Before you are stupid enough to call somebody an Uncle Tom, you should know what one is. And you'll probably reserve that term and because most of the people you know don't deserve it. Amen. Uncle Tom may be the most Christ-like figure in all of literature. Powerful book. That was his sister. They were the sons of a preacher, a uh, Calvinist. But Henry Ward Beecher, um, his adultery and his lawsuits, actually they said, took, uh, took Reconstructionism out of the news for two years because he was that famous a preacher, that influential, and yet an adulterer. But great quote, I got to think this is from his earlier years. So I got to give credit to him, credit is due, but I don't want you to go away thinking he died awesome. Hold yourself responsible for a higher standard than anybody else expects of you. Never excuse yourself, never pity yourself. Be a hard master to yourself and be lenient to everybody else. Great quote. Epictetus, a second century uh, Greek philosopher no person is free who is not master of himself. He was a Stoic. Stoics were all about self-mastery, uh, doing away with pleasure and emotion and just being self-controlled. John C. Maxwell, if you wouldn't follow yourself, why should anyone else? <laughs> He's a popular Christian speaker, a motivational leadership guy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Every act of self-discipline by a Christian is also a service to the, we should say, church community. The total quote's too long, but it's talking about when you're selfish, it affects your church. When you're selfish, it affects the community of believers. 
He was using community in a 1920s Germany term, in a sense, not in a 2020 community term. Every act of self-discipline by a Christian is also a service to their church community. Saidi Madala, that's a modern Zimbabwean philosopher and author, he said, doing everything you have to do at the time you have to do them, whether it feels fun or not, is discipline. Yeah, Zim, wisdom from Zimbabwe. Galatians 5, now the fruit of the Spirit are self-control. So here's my final points here. The Holy Spirit wants to help us bear a fruit, a deep soul conviction, an attitude called self-control. When this is just a want to and a whim, it's not going to work. But when this becomes a deep-seated conviction, a, a voice of your heart, a drive of your heart, when you see it in the Word of God and you see how it hinders you and you see how God view, views it, you'll do something about it. And it's not my position to tell you what that looks like. You just need to do something about it. There is a massive argument and debate within the body of Christ that says obesity is just as bad as pornography. One is just easier to hide than the other. Because both of them are biblical appetites run amok. So then the next argument among preachers is, if we would sit a preacher down for pornography, shouldn't we sit them down for obesity? So they learn to master themselves? These are discussions that go on in private, but you don't have those publicly because too many Americans are obese and you might hurt their feelings. But I honestly would rather have the truth hurled at me that I might make my own decision than it to be kept from me because you were afraid of hurting my feelings. I would be so mad if I had type 2 diabetes and was never taught how dangerous obesity was or that it's grieved God and look at my feet being cut off from me in surgery the next day when I could have been warned about it 15 years prior. Why lie to me and call it love? So when you get this conviction in your soul that this is the body of Christ, this is his temple, I've got to take care of it, you'll begin to put a knife to your throat and bring things into subjection. If it's a fruit, it must begin as a seed. So sow the seed of self-control, water it, cultivate it, bring forth fruit to a disciplined and healthy life. A disciplined and healthy life. That equals freedom. Freedom is not a hover around at Walmart buying ho-hos and ding-dongs. That's not freedom. And those carts are designed for elderly people, by the way. They were not meant for obese people. We want to make sure we glorify God with our body because it belongs to him. And as a stewardship, the doctrine of stewardship says we will answer to God for everything he's given us. So part of our eternal judgment will be how you took care of your body. Amen. You'll be a steward over your money. You'll answer to God for that. You'll answer to God for your spouse. You'll answer to God for how you parented. You'll answer to God for your career. You'll answer to God for your giftings. You'll answer to God for how you took care of your body. So we must do it. This has been an Achilles heel of our church, but honestly, in the South, it's the Achilles heel of every church. But if we, we can master this, we can beat it. Amen. And you must, because the next generation may have to be a lot healthier than us. Amen. Obesity is a self-inflicted disease, and you can beat it. Don't think you're any better. Uh, just because you're skinny, you might be a drunk, you might be a cigarette smoker, you might be a porn addict. These are all appetite issues. 
God can deliver the drunk. He can deliver the cigarette smoker. He can deliver the porn addict. Amen. It all takes appetite control. All right? We feel okay? You hungry? No? Yes? I don't know. Now I'm a liar. I'm very hungry. Amen. Well, food is like mammon. We need it. We just don't serve it. We need it. We just don't live for it. God will bring us what we need. Amen. If you be given the appetite, put a knife to your throat and get that appetite under control. All right. We got authority over demons. They got to obey us. We ought to be able to obey us as well. Amen. Dr. Sivas just texted me a question. What if our glorified bodies will be related to how we take care of our bodies now? Would that change our actions? That's a good theological question that I've never read anything on. What if your, the quality of your glorified body was dependent on this one? I think we'd all go for a jog this afternoon. <laughs> I'm eating lettuce and chicken strips, saying we're going for a run. I don't know. That's a good one to start digging at. Amen.